This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Recently, Francis issued Predicate Evangelium, a document that promised to reform the Roman Curia. It was the fruit of nine years of work of Francis. It was started just after he ascended to the papacy. Now we have reports coming from various Catholic theologians and canon lawyers stating that the reform of the Roman Curia promised by this document is actually going to make all the typical problems in Rome worse, not better. There will be less transparency than there is now. The most questionable office in the entire Curia will gain enormous power, and the lines between laity and the priesthood will be further eroded and blurred. What does this mean for the church? nothing good according to these canon lawyers. It means that the problems that have characterized the church these past few decades will get worse. This document is supposed to be a crowning achievement for Francis, but instead it may hang as yet another albatross around the neck of his legacy. Let's get into the story. First, before all that, we are deep into Holy Week now and entering the most solemn days of the year as Lent comes to a close. There are priests offering the traditional mass and liturgies of these holy days in accordance with liturgical norms that date to before the so-called reforms of the now traditional liturgy that were issued by Annibale Bugnini, the suspected stonecutter that gave us the new mass back in 1955. In simpler terminology, they are offering the pre-1955 Holy Week liturgies despite virtually every priestly fraternity and bishop clamping down on these efforts. And yes, I know the new mass was promulgated in 1970, but the same man who brought those to you, brought that to you, brought the church these revised so-called traditional Latin mass liturgies in the years beforehand, which paved the way. And if you're blessed to have the access to these liturgical ceremonies before, that were are, are according to the rubrics from before 1955, do everybody involved a favor. Do not post videos or pictures of these liturgies on social media. Don't take to social media to tell the world about it. Do not advertise that you or that you had access to such a liturgy. If you do, your priest will surely be punished for this. The reasons why they will get punished are something to say for a future video, but it suffices to say for now that all the priestly fraternities have issued orders pretty much telling their priests not to offer these masses, as have many bishops. So don't do anything but heed the words of our blessed Lord here. Be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. So please, if you're blessed with access to the pre-1955 Holy Week liturgical offerings, do not advertise them. Thanks. On to our story, which today is of the twisting of the church more and more into the NGO status that the modernists so desire for the church. Francis's new document on reforming and restructuring the Roman Curia is raising red flags among those who are extremely knowledgeable about the structure of church governance, and they are saying that the problems in Rome are going to get worse, not better, due to Francis's so-called reforms. Headline from the National Catholic Register, Predicate Evangelium poses problems, some church analysts warn. Critics of Pope Francis's new curial reform document say some of the reforms threaten to revolutionize the church's understanding of the hierarchical power of governance. Now, the piece is by Edward Penton, and neither Mr. Penton nor the Register are exactly known as being rad-trad outlets or reporters with, that have an axe to grind, at least among relatively normal Catholics. According to Mr. Penton, the 
Scholars who study this new document promulgated by Francis after nine years of work on it by the Roman Curia has the potential to grotesquely centralize the church's central government while also continuing to downplay the importance of the priesthood in the lives of Catholics. From the article, quote, Pope Francis's recently announced reform of the Roman Curia introduces some sweeping changes aimed at aiding the church's mission of evangelization, but critics have warned that some key reforms show a poor understanding of theology, canon law, and ecclesiology that threaten to undermine the church's authority. Among the innovations of Predicate Evangelium, so far only published in Italian and which comes into force on June 5th, the Solemnity of Pentecost, is that the main Vatican departments, currently known as congregations and pontifical councils, will become quote-unquote dicasteries. With the exceptions of the dicastery for bishops and the dicastery for the clergy, these dicasteries may be headed by an appropriately suited baptized lay Catholic. Another significant change already proposed in a 2019 draft of the document is a greater emphasis on evangelization. The prestigious Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples which dates back to, to 1622, and the Pontifical Council for Promoting the New Evangelization, created by Benedict XVI in 2010, will become the Dicastery for Evangelization, presided over directly by the Pope. That new super Dicastery will also be ranked higher than the Dicastery, formerly Congregation, for the Doctrine of the Faith in the new curial structure, but below the Secretary of State, which remains the Supreme Vatican Department, a status given to it by Pope St. Paul VI, Pope states in Predicate Evangelium that the aim of the document is to better harmonize the present exercise of the curious service with the path of evangelization that the church, especially in the season, is experiencing, end quote. So doctrine takes a backseat to spreading the faith, except without coherent doctrine, what precisely are they spreading? The Francis message of hugs and trusting in secular authority, of course. Francis's message can easily be described as an emphasis on what passes for evangelization in the springtime of the Church of the New Advent over doctrine and dogma. But beyond that, we're seeing the secularization of the government of the Church. Quote, But these sweeping changes and predicate evangelium as a whole have drawn criticism. Cardinal Gerhard Mueller, Prefect Emeritus for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, said he believed there was no need to replace Pastor Bonus with a completely different document as most of the financial and personal scandals that precipitated reform of the Curia related more to secular organs of Vatican State than the congregations of the Curia, which relate to the Pope's service to the Universal Church. Regarding changing the departmental names to dicasteries able to be headed by laity, the German Cardinal told the Register that, as far as he was concerned, this was tantamount to transforming the Curia from an ecclesial entity of the Holy Roman Church into a worldly administrative apparatus." End quote. There were other changes listed, including limiting how long a priest can serve in the Roman Curia and a few shuffling of deck chairs on this modernist Titanic. But the main issue here is that these Vatican financial troubles in the headlines over the past five years all came because of secularization of church institutions. And now we're seeing further secularization of Vatican institutions. The logic is missing here, but that's not surprising given the secularization of the church's message over the past few decades. Part of the secular thinking is the fact that high-ranking officials in Rome care about the reputations of these institutions. That is, they care about what secular partners of these institutions, what the world thinks of the Vatican Bank and other ch church secular institutions. From the Pillar headline, Peña Pada, Reporting Corruption Risk Reputational Damage. 
that's reassuring because when the situation in these institutions gets so bad that the world finds out, it won't further tarnish the reputation of the church in the eyes of the only people in the world who actually matter, which is that of people looking to convert, to become Catholic. Because here's the problem with all this. There are numerous people who want to come to Christ's church, but see the wide-ranging sewage coming out of Rome and out of some of the more wicked public-facing prelates like Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church, and they look to Eastern Orthodoxy instead. Most of us have probably encountered people who make that choice because of these kinds of problems, which are never really addressed in any meaningful way. From that article, quote, New Vatican court filings show that the Pope's chief advisor decided not to report suspected criminal activity connected to the Vatican's London property deal because a criminal report would be bad publicity. Archbishop Edgar Peñapara, Sostuto at the Secretariat of State, wrote to Pope Francis on May 2nd, 2019, saying that he had decided to enter into negotiations with the businessman Gianluigi Torzi, who had allegedly attempted to extort the Vatican for control of a building at 60 Sloan Avenue, which the Secretariat of State had purchased for some 350 million euros. Peña Pada wrote that he did not want to risk unpredictable reputational damage by reporting the alleged extortion to financial authorities. The 2019 letter was filed as evidence Wednesday in a criminal case against 10 defendants connected to the Vatican Secretary of State. The letter was first reported Sunday in Italian media. Torzi had been appointed in 2018 to act as the Secretariat's broker for the purchase, despite his numerous business connections with the building's owner, Raffaele Mincione, in 2018. As the sale was completed, Torzi restructured the ownership of the Luxembourg Holding Company, which controlled the building, granting himself a minority of shares but with full control of the company, leaving the Vatican with paper ownership but no control. According to the letter, filed as evidence with the court, Henia Pada informed Pope Francis that he decided to enter into negotiations with Torzi and the people connected to him instead of pursuing a legal initiative because alerting authorities would have given publicity to the whole operation and risked unpredictable reputational damage. Panyapada wrote the letter to the Pope to inform him of the success of those negotiations, which required the Secretariat to pay Torzi an additional 15 million euros for control of a building the Vatican had already bought for 350 million, end quote. And it was stories like this that predated the Francis reign that prompted this reform of the government of the church, because there were many stories like this going back to the 1960s. And yet with all that in mind, this still happens. With Betchew dragged before the secular authorities, this still happens. Reforms are meaningless if the root causes of these issues are not addressed, and they just clearly have not been. A cardinal from India tells us that the central problem is that there is no attitude of service among the curia, or that such an attitude is lacking at any rate. From Crux, which professes to be taking the Catholic pulse, we get this headline. Cardinal says curia reform requires a change of attitude at the Vatican. Bear in mind that men become priests because the vast majority of them think that they are being called by God into service for his church. Keep that in mind as we go over this. Quote, a leading advisor of Pope Francis says the new reform of the Vatican bureaucracy will require an attitude of service from members of the Roman Curia. Cardinal Oswald Gracias of Bombay is a member of the Pontiff's Council of Cardinals that advised him on the Curia reform, which culminated with the document Predicate Evangelium, released on March 19th. The reform of the Curia was the first major program the Holy Father started exactly one month after his papacy was inaugurated. On April 13, 2013, he appointed his Council of Cardinals to advise him in the reform of the Curia and the governance of the Universal Church, Gracias told Indian Currents. 
The reason why the Holy Father took up the reform of the Roman Curia as a priority was because during the pre-conclave meeting of cardinals, when reflecting and discussing about the church, a reform of the Curia was suggested by many cardinals. Pope Francis responded to this expressed need by appointing a council of advisors to assist him. The reform needs a change of mental attitude. An attitude of service is needed on the part of all members of the Curia, the cardinal explained. A key principle is that the Curia should not be a body between the Holy Father and bishops of the world, but be at the service of both the Holy Father and the local churches. This was sought to be worked out in the entire document. The title of the document, Preach the Gospel, indicates the primary purpose of the church, every dicastery and every member of the Curia, he continued. The process of the reform has already begun. As we know, the Holy Father has already changed the structure and personnel in some dicasteries, he said, referring to the consolidation of offices which took place near the beginning of Francis's pontificate. For changes to take place effectively, mental attitude must change. I see it already happening. The Francis effect is already evident, naturally, at a different pace in different dicasteries, depending on the nature of the dicastery and the personnel in the dicastery. The reform has begun, Gracia said adding that he doesn't think there is an end point for the reform. It needs to continue not only during this papacy, but even beyond, end quote. If this goes as well as the previous reforms of the church instituted by the modernists, then we're in for a bumpy ride. The thing that really blows my mind about all this is, well, this. The solution to these problems is to divest the church from its secular interests. The church invests staggering amounts of money into secular institutions. Instead, the church could use its massive financial power to invest in some way that is in keeping with the values of the church and its prohibitions against usury and various positive things, like in assisting families to start family and community-based independent agricultural operations, or could invest in Catholic businesses that have a proven track record of turning a profit, or, I don't know, land, which the church used to be pretty good at investing in, or something, anything, other than condos in London and movies about celebrities whose lives are filled with horrors that cry out to heaven for justice. I'm sure we can all think of better ways for the church to secure its material treasure than how it has been doing it, but the church can't divest from the world because for the last 60 plus years, the popes and hierarchy have put the church at the service of the world. It's why so many popes have given so many addresses to the United Nations since the papacy of John Twenty-Third. It's why the Vatican hosts conferences with some real villains as guest speakers and coordinators from the secular world. And the Vatican has done this since before Francis arrived in Rome. The church has partnered with wicked secular organizations for decades, and notice that the reforms focused on here by Francis don't touch on that at all. No mention of making the church's governance holy. No mention of breaking off ties to servants of Moloch that the church is cozied up to. And they can't do that for the same reasons that the German bishops are not getting excommunicated for their errors. Influence and money. That's why. So instead, we get some nice-sounding words from prelates telling us about a need for an attitude of service in the hierarchy and some symbolic moves to restructure the offices in Rome that really put more power in the Cardinal Secretary of State's hands, which is a giant red flag for anyone who's been paying attention. What did you think of this story today? Is this reform just a smokescreen for keeping the gravy train rolling and creating the illusion that things are now better in Rome? Let me know what you think in the comments, please. And again, thanks to the patrons for their continued support of this channel and helping to keep this work going. It is greatly appreciated. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.